At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. This is a Friday edition of the PFT PM podcast, kind of and sort of. It's PFT PM, it's PFT OT, I guess OT. Special circumstances have arisen because moments after I taped the PFT PM podcast for Friday, Antonio Brown was released by the New England Patriots. So, before we get to the PFT PM podcast, a little extra to get you up to speed on what happened this afternoon and where it all heads from here. So the news is this. Antonio Brown tweeted just after 4 p.m. Eastern what seemed to be a farewell to the New England Patriots. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate at Patriots was the tweet. I quickly confirmed that indeed Antonio Brown has been released by the Patriots. The Patriots have since issued this statement. The New England Patriots are releasing Antonio Brown. We appreciate the hard work of many people over the past 11 days, but we feel that it is best to move in a different direction at this time. That's it. They don't get into any of the specifics, the whys and the wherefores, and they weren't going to cut him based solely upon the civil lawsuit that was filed one day after Antonio Brown joined the team last Monday. They thought it would be a horrible precedent, as it would be, to fire someone based simply upon uncorroborated allegations contained in a civil complaint. But in the 10 days since the lawsuit was filed, other things have happened. Things we know about and things we don't know about. We know about the 10-hour meeting between the NFL and Brittany Taylor, the woman who sued Antonio Brown last week. In 10 hours, some information undoubtedly was gathered. And maybe it was credible. Maybe it was passed along to the Patriots. Maybe the Patriots conducted their own shadow background investigation to get more information. I know I would if it was up to me, if it's my team. I'm not just going to sit and wait. I have resources available. I want to find out, are these claims false or are they accurate? I want to know more before I continue to allow this relationship to go forward because if it goes forward and it shouldn't, it does damage to my reputation, to my team, to my brand. And then you throw on top of it, What happened on Thursday night, the story that broke from SI.com, the second accuser who emerged on Monday with an incident that wasn't nearly as egregious as the things that were contained in the civil complaint, but still bad enough to trigger scrutiny of Antonio Brown and potentially bad enough to get him sued again or under separate scrutiny of the league office. He intimidated, he harassed, he retaliated against that second accuser via a group text message that amazingly included his own lawyer. So, to the extent that this was building with things that maybe we know about and maybe we don't, the one thing that everyone found out about Thursday night quite possibly was the straw that broke the camel's back. And for the Patriots, it's a fairly big deal because they gave him a $9 million signing bonus. They've paid one installment. The other installment hasn't been paid yet. But, but, they may try to not pay him that amount. And they may try to get some of that money back. It all depends upon the language of 
the contract and the language of the CBA. Usually, though, with a signing bonus, it takes a suspension. It takes a retirement. It takes something significant by the player to allow the team to get any of it back, whether it's the amount that's been paid or the amount that hasn't been paid. But you know what? The Patriots could choose to just refuse to pay the second installment and force Antonio Brown to fight for it because maybe along the way, the Patriots will get lucky and they'll get some sort of a ruling that favors them and allows them to keep that money. Now, whatever he keeps coming out of his time in New England, Antonio Brown becomes a free agent. He's free to sign with any other team, just like he was only 13 days ago. And yes, can you believe it? It's only been 13 days since he was cut by the Oakland Raiders. Free agent, free to sign. I'm assuming it shows up on the transaction report for Friday, which means he's available right now to come to terms with another team and sign a contract as soon as tonight. It would become official tomorrow. Who will pursue him? Now, when you consider that Bill Belichick so quickly went after Antonio Brown, despite everything that we knew about, without hesitation, Bill Belichick pursued Antonio Brown. And it led to speculation that maybe maybe Antonio Brown acted a certain way to get out of Oakland the same way he acted a certain way to get out of Pittsburgh. And maybe this was an inside job. And of course, it's all irrelevant now. But the fact that Bill Belichick was ready to give this guy safe harbor, it's going to make another team. All it takes is one. I say this all the time. 31 teams can shout hell no about the prospect of signing a player. If one team whispers yes, that's all it takes. Washington. They, they were interested in trading for Tyreek Hill, I was told, earlier this offseason. Back during training camp when Trent Williams was and still is holding out. And there was some thought that maybe they could work something out and end up with Tyreek Hill. Well, now they can get Antonio Brown. And do you look the look, look, look at what Washington did last year with Reuben Foster? Is what they did with Reuben Foster worse than what they may do with Antonio Brown? Reuben Foster had been arrested. Reuben Foster was facing criminal charges, and it all worked out for Washington. I could see Washington saying, hey, you've already made $9 million for this year. How about we sign you to a one-year $6 million contract, and off we go. So that's the first team, just because dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. And currently, there's no PR director in Washington because Tony Wiley has left for the Special Olympics. I don't know that there's a voice of reason right now to talk Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder out of being seduced by the talent that Antonio Brown clearly has. So no matter what anyone else does with Antonio Brown, whether they sign him, whether they don't sign him, the league still has an investigation that is not going anywhere. The league has uh, the prerogative and the obligation to continue to investigate. And the, the lawyers for the second accuser issued a statement not long before Antonio Brown was cut by the Patriots indicating that the league has made it clear that Brown was told, do not have any further communication with this individual. And the mere fact that the league would be responsible for issuing that mandate tells you the league thinks it's problematic that Antonio Brown did that. So between the first accuser, the second accuser, the allegation of intimidation of the second accuser, Antonio Brown is looking at an eventual suspension quite possibly. Now, if you're Washington, you say, all right, how long is he going to be suspended? We'll take him on. We'll pay him as he goes. If he gets suspended, we don't pay him. If he gets put on the commissioner exempt, let's see, that's the problem. They paid Reuben Foster last year on the commissioner exemplist, but they weren't paying him very much. Whoever takes him on now is undertaking the risk that Antonio Brown will end up on the commissioner exemplist and they'll have to pay him. So I'd want to be damn sure whether or not he's going to be on the commissioner exemplist before I sign Antonio Brown. So it's a complicated situation 
and the league still has jurisdiction even though he's not currently employed and any other team out there can sign him can take a flyer if they want to maybe it's a one-year minimum deal at this point for Antonio Brown the bottom line is this whether he intentionally wanted out of Pittsburgh or Oakland or not he now unintentionally has been ejected by the New England Patriots and it feels like it's going to be a while before anyone is interested in hiring Antonio Brown again if ever that's it for this extra little edition of PFTPM, PFTOTOT. Now, if you're listening to the PFTPM podcast, here is the full hour that was recorded just before Antonio Brown was released by the Patriots. It's been a while since I've put on the headset and clicked on the ISDN box and done an audio only PFTPM. We have been doing Thursdays with Chris Sims. Full preview of the upcoming week, game by game, pick by pick. Tuesdays now, it's an MDS excursion that is done in my TV studio. Fridays, where applicable, we'll be clicking on the box and I'll be answering your questions. And that's what it's going to be. Your questions and only your questions I figure there will be enough questions that it will constitute a sufficient preview for the coming weekend. And again, if you want a preview in full for the coming weekend, listen to Thursday's episode. Let's get right to it. PFTPM Posse. Courtesy of at JTrain33. How do avoided contract years work for salary cap purposes? That feels like an off-season question. Seems like there are extra years for spreading out the cap hit while ensuring freedom for the player trying to understand the Saints' breeze cap dance. Yeah, there are various reasons for the voided year, but what happens is if you have that voidable year, it's another year into which the signing bonus allocation can be jammed. It's cap purposes. There's different tricks and different devices, and there are enough tricks and devices out there that pretty much any contract can be absorbed under the salary cap. And even if you are, in theory, out of cap space, there are other ways to play the cap shuffling game to push money into future years and with the cap going up and up and up the thinking is you can tuck those excess contracts into future years and the voidable year is one way to do it when you only truly want to commit to the guy for x number of years you can throw in that voidable year for cap purposes one of the newest members of the pftpm posse at stevie kincaid why haven't we heard more about an investigation into the Panthers' manipulation of the injury report with Cam Newton last week. Well, I don't know that they did manipulate the injury report. They believed he was healthy, and he was healthy until he re-injured his foot. That's the story. That he re-injured his foot, he aggravated it during the game, and there are specific injury reporting requirements during a game, but if the guy never leaves the field because of it, I don't know that you have to give an update. If he powers through, I don't know. It was weird, though, because remember, after that loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Ron Rivera was asked about the decision not to run Cam Newton with the game on the line, fourth and short, on the shadow of the Tampa Bay end zone. And there was a question about, was there a concern with the foot such that, and Rivera shut down the question, kind of mocked the reporter. No, there was no concern of the foot such that. Got all snippy. Ron's feeling the heat. Because I tell you what, David Tepper's not going to give Ron Rivera a pass. 
if Cam Newton can't play at all this year or if he's not effective. Cam Newton's out for Sunday, as I expected. And Darren Gant and I talked about this on PFT Live Friday morning. Darren covered the Panthers for 14 years with the Rock Hill Herald before joining us in 2012. Just feels like Cam's not going to play at all this year. He seems literally broken in body and in spirit. The shoulder, the foot, this, that. It's Andrew Luck. Remember when Andrew Luck was going through the pre-draft process in 2012. My dog just came in. Remember when Andrew Luck was... Come on, babe. Come on, babe. You got to go. When Andrew Luck was going through the pre-draft process in 2012, scouting combine, all the measurables were almost identical to him and Cam Newton. Maybe an identical exit, whether it's after this season or the year after that. And Cam Newton's under contract through 2020. Who's going to sign him after that if he still wants to play? Who's going to give him starting quarterback money? He looks indestructible. He's not indestructible. He is very destructible. And it could be that his body and his spirit, as far as high-level football are concerned, have been officially destructive. PFTPM Posse. Passes along this question from at Legendary Deets. If the Ravens defeat the Chiefs this week, does it solidify Lamar as the top threat in all of the NFL? No. No. Because Patrick Mahomes is is still the top threat in all of the NFL. Even after the Patriots uh, beat, excuse me, even after the Patriots beat the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, Patrick Mahomes is still the top threat. Lamar's getting there. He could get there. Last year was kind of not really the coming out party for Patrick Mahomes when they beat the Ravens week 14-ish. It just underscored and solidified that this guy's for real, that this guy's special, that he's another level of franchise quarterback. Lamar Jackson has played at a higher level than what we saw last year. He's thrown the ball better than we expected. He's been allowed to throw it more. The Dolphins dared him to throw it, and he kept throwing, and they kept daring him to throw it, and he kept throwing it. Last year against, or last week, excuse me, against the Cardinals, there was more of a mixture, more of a blend, and that's the ultimate goal, I think, for the Ravens. Keep the defenses constantly guessing, and take whatever they give you. If the defense is leaning pass, you run. If the defense is leaning run, you pass, and I think once the defenses start to get a better feel for what the Ravens' offense is doing with Greg Roman as the coordinator, we may see more efforts to confuse Lamar Jackson pre-snap, confuse Greg Roman with the looks that they're showing and what they're actually doing. Another one from the PFTPM Posse account. Two of my favorite Sims-isms from this week. His newest word, the bar is exponentially higher with Taysom Hill. And he said, I like it that Peter doing his read for Peter King's podcast, so take that however you want. He said mononucleosis yesterday when he was talking about Sam Darnold. Mononucleosis. And here's the great thing about Sims. You know, most of us went in doubt about a word, we just won't use it. Chris's attitude is, ah, screw it. And he doesn't get huffy or pissy 
If he screws it up, he just keeps going. Laughs it off and keeps going. PFT PM Posse, how was OBJ's uniform violation visor only discovered during a crucial play and not during pregame inspections by officials? Seems like that's on the NFL, as it should have been obvious. IMO. Look, I don't know. For all I know, they switched from an approved visor to the unapproved visor after inspections were done. Who knows? Bottom line is this. It's not just on OBJ. It's on the Browns. Somebody on the equipment staff screwed that thing into his helmet. OBJ didn't do it. And it wouldn't surprise me if, and I'm speculating here, OBJ not allowed to wear a watch during the game. And he's pissed about that. You're singling me out. Well, who else out there is wearing watches that we don't know about? So he has his gold visor in warm-ups, and then right before the game, they switch it real quick to an approved visor, and then there's a quick switch back after the final inspections or whatever it is they do. And his attitude is, screw it, I'm just going to do it. And I don't like the whining that other players get to do it if you don't name who they are. Who else is wearing an unapproved visor without a medical clearance to wear a darkened visor? Who else is doing it? I want to know. PFTPM Posse passes along a question from at Resist Programming. Shouldn't Jerry's negotiation with Jay-Z be more concerning for the NFLPA now that Jay-Z is in a business venture with the NFL? one in which many think is being used to cover up blackballing of a player and may result in Jay-Z becoming an owner himself. I get the impression the league and the union don't care about Jerry Jones negotiating directly with players, or in this case, negotiating directly with someone who owns a sports agency but isn't certified by the NFL Players Association to negotiate on behalf of NFL players. I think the NFLPA is deferring to Jerry Jones' role in the CBA discussions and willing to look the other way on something that happened three or four years ago because they just don't want to piss Jerry off. They don't want that added complication of a motivated enemy, which Jerry Jones was a couple of years ago with Roger Goodell. Remember that? With the Ezekiel Elliott suspension? Got Papa John involved? You know you got trouble when Papa John's on the case. I just don't think people care. I don't get the impression they care. They didn't care when Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones were admitting that they negotiate directly with players. And I don't get the impression anybody cares that Jerry Jones flat out said he negotiated directly with Jay-Z, the Des Bryant contract. There's also that, that strange recognition that Jerry just says whatever he wants and it may not be true. Isn't that odd? That you could say something that you did that you shouldn't have done, but you don't get in trouble because people say, ah, he's full of crap. He talks like that all the time. Now, for Jay-Z, it's a potential problem because, number one, the NFLPA could be concerned about it. And number two, there are regulatory issues in New York where the meeting happened, Texas where the player was under contract, There are requirements for people who are going to be sports agents to do certain things. And if you don't, you're potentially in violation of the law. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. Do the prosecutors in either state really give a crap about something like that? Or are they worried about other things? 
PFTPM Posse, do you see AB being placed on the commissioner exempt list and maybe released by the Patriots in a Friday 4 p.m. bad news dump by the NFL? If it happens, you heard it here first. If it doesn't happen, this tweet was just speculation. Talking point. See, the PFTPM Posse knows how to play the game. It's 3.06 p.m. Eastern as I answer that question. I really do believe that Antonio Brown crossed a very important line when he decided to harass and intimidate the woman who has not yet made an official accusation against him. By badgering her in a group text about making up, as he said, bullshit claims and trying to get money and she's broke and look, here's a picture of her kids and she looks awfully broke. He's trying to get her to back down. He's trying to keep that unofficial complaint from becoming an official complaint, either civil or criminal or directed to 345 Park Avenue. He's trying to shout her down so she doesn't complicate his life any more than it already is. And the mere fact that he did that is something that the NFL should discipline him for and the Patriots should fire him for. And my specific experience and perspective in that regard comes from the time I spent practicing law, advising companies who were conducting investigations of wrongdoing in the workplace, and if someone accused of wrongdoing by a co-worker retaliates in any way, tries to intimidate in any way, tries to harass in any way the person making the accusation, the person who is accused of wrongdoing is immediately fired. I remember one investigation that I handled 20 years ago where someone had stolen paperwork that was on a printer and it was some sensitive information and it all got around and it was a big mess and we did an investigation to find out who did it and it was determined in the process that someone lied during the investigation, that person got fired. It's a serious, serious matter when the company is trying to figure out what happened and trying to get reliable information if the person who is accused of wrongdoing is intimidating, harassing, harassing, threatening, retaliating, whatever, against the, the person making the accusation, you have to take swift and dramatic action. And that's what we know about. We know that he did that. We don't know what they found out in talking to Brittany Taylor, the woman who sued Antonio Brown last week. We don't know what other evidence is out there. I have a hunch that... If Antonio Brown is going to give you such easy evidence in plain sight, just recklessly and stupidly generate evidence that hurts him, it probably isn't all that hard to find evidence in the form of text messages, emails, whatever, that would incriminate him. And we don't know what the NFL is finding out through its formal investigation. We don't know what the Patriots may be learning through their shadow investigation if they're conducting one. I don't know if they are, but I know I would be if I was trying to figure out whether or not I should stand behind an employee who's been sued for sexual assault and rape, who I wasn't willing to fire based simply upon allegations in a civil lawsuit, but I sure as hell wanted to know who I'm dealing with. See what else we got here. We're rocking through these today. Dean Osborne, 42. Why isn't Shad Khan trading slash firing the terminally mediocre Doug Marone instead of their best player, Jalen Ramsey? Well, I don't know that you'd fire Marone now over it. 
I think the easy solution here, if you want to keep Jalen Ramsey, you offer Jalen Ramsey a contract that would make him the highest paid player at his position in the NFL. And I did the math today. Six years, $77.7 million. Now you'd have to figure out the structure. But you get him signed to a six-year, $77.7 million contract. That is an extension of his current deal. And in light of what he's due to make presently over the next two years, $15.1 million per year, making him the highest paid cornerback in the NFL. And some would say, well, what happens in two years when he decides that he's not the highest paid cornerback anymore and he wants more money? Easy response. You, you give him more money. You tell him, as long as we believe that you are the best corner in the game, you're going to be paid that way. And we'll adjust your contract every year, every other year to make it happen. That's what you have to do. And, and is it that big of a price to pay to have the best cornerback in the game? Why do teams want to have great players and have them on their terms? If you've got a great player who wants to be employed on his terms, okay, fine. We still have the great player. Oh, we have to be concerned about how other players will react to the manner in which we treat this person differently. We can't treat him differently. Bullshit. I got some pushback from some people I know in the league about taking the position that when you have a great player, you do what you have to do to make him happy. And if you have to treat him differently than everybody else, so be it. We can't treat everybody differently. We have to treat them the same. No, you don't. No, you don't. The great players get special treatment. And if the guys who aren't great players have a problem with it, you tell them, hey, play great, and you'll get special treatment too. Otherwise, shut the hell up and be glad you have a job because there's plenty of other guys out there who can do what you do. If you're not a starter... If you're not a starter, you're definitely fungible and replaceable, and we can find somebody else. If you are a starter, there's a chance we could find somebody else. Maybe not during the season, but definitely after the season. There's only a small handful of guys who can't be replaced. Frank Chavoui, can we stop talking about AB already and just talk Cowboys? No. Why do we want to talk about the Cowboys? How many points are they going to beat the Dolphins by? There's no way they're not going to blow the Dolphins off the field. I think that the best bets this week by far are the Patriots giving 22 and the Dolphins giving 22, whatever the number is. It's not high enough because the NFL is not used to numbers being that high. They're not used to it. And... We have to adjust to this new reality of a huge gap between the best teams and the worst teams, whether they're just bad naturally or whether they're trying to be bad. Either way, 22 is not enough. Look at last week. It wasn't even 20, the spread between the Patriots and the Dolphins, and the Patriots won by 43. So, Cowboys, you're going to win. Dean Osborne, 42. I'm still really confused as to why Colin Kaepernick settled his grievance case with the league when he had them on the ropes, especially as it was always obvious that no teams were going to bring him in and still haven't. Plus, why did he accept such a small amount of money? Well, it really isn't a small amount of money. When you're offering somebody something that was in seven figures but not eight figures, 
That's a decent amount of money. Now, I knew that it wasn't a significant payment when the NFL didn't also purchase his right to be employed moving forward. I mean, think about that. One of the big things that companies are concerned about when they have a disgruntled employee who has sued is once we settle this one, the person's just going to come back around again. They're going to show up and apply for work. If we don't give them work, then we're going to get sued again. So let's include in this settlement a clause that the person will... It's the don't darken our doorstep clause. You're never going to show up again. You're not going to seek a job. You're not going to accept the job. Permanent termination of employment rights with that company. But it's, it's, you got to pay for it. It's not cheap. You got to pay extra for it. Once I was told that that clause isn't in there, it's like they didn't pay very much money then, so they weren't worried all that worried. They weren't worried all that much or worried all that worried about his his claim. Here's the problem. Ultimately, an arbitrator was going to decide that case, not a jury. I'd take my chances before a jury. I'm not sure I'd take my chances before an arbitrator. Because the arbitrator may not be willing to follow the same trail of breadcrumbs that a jury would follow in a case like this. The arbitrator may be more inclined to demand something more like a smoking gun. Not where there's smoke, there's fire. I personally think he was blackballed. And I think that if he would have held firm and sacrificed the money that he got, he would have at least exposed what they had done. That's what disappointed me. Not that I was looking forward to having to read 20,000 pages of documents that would have come out at some point and transcripts. And, but he really could have put them through the ringer. And they probably saved money. They probably paid him less collectively than what they would have spent on legal fees to get a victory if they would have gotten one. And even then... You know, there's appeals and all that stuff comes out. Yeah, I don't think it was a good deal for Colin Kaepernick. I think he got screwed, and he's still getting screwed. And now the best argument against employing him is, well, he hasn't played in two years. Yeah, because you successfully blackballed him for two years. Well, we don't want to sign somebody who hasn't played football in two years. Like, it's his fault. Frank Chavoui, do you think Murray is living up to expectations? Too bad he didn't go to a better team. Which Murray? Latavius Murray? Kyler Murray? I guess it's Kyler Murray. Sometimes when I just see the last name, there's so many guys with the same last name in the NFL, or if there's more than one, it's like, I want to make sure I got the right one. Probably Kyler. I think Kyler's passed the eyeball test. I think he's going to get his first win this weekend over Kyle Allen. Are you kidding me? They tied the Lions. They only lost by six to the Ravens. Now, there were a couple of opportunities to drive the field and score touchdowns in Baltimore, but they weren't able to punch it in. On Tour Forever. I don't even heard from On Tour Forever in a while. Is there any way the league can force Bill Belichick to answer questions at his press conferences? They already forced players to have post-game press conferences. This doesn't seem any different. No, look. You're required to be available. You're required to be there. They don't require you 
to actually give substantive answers or say anything worth a damn. If you want to come off as a jerk, that's your business. I I learned all that from dealing with the NFL when Marshawn Lynch was doing his thing when Remember there was a press conference where every question they'd ask you'd just say, "Yeah" or "Thank you." Or "I'm just here so I won't get fined." Their attitude is they're not going to force you to deliver a responsive answer. They're not going to fine you for that. They're just going to fine you if you don't show up. And if you want to go there and you want to be an ass, then you can be an ass. As long as you're there, as long as you're present, as long as you say something, you can say anything. And the thing today with Bill Belichick and the press conference where he was asked questions about Antonio Brown and he got pissed off and It's one thing to get huffy about somebody asking you strategic football questions, but this is a fairly serious matter. And if you're not going to answer questions about Antonio Brown, then I think what you need to do is read a statement at, a, at the beginning. Preliminary introduction. I just want to say thanks for everybody for showing up today. I know you've got some questions about Antonio Brown. This is an ongoing situation. There's an investigation by the league. We're looking into some of the information that came to light last night, and I am not going to be commenting on the situation until we gather more information and make decisions about how we're going to proceed. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have about the Jets. They still may ask you questions about Antonio Brown, but you can say at that point, I've, I've already said what I'm going to say. So, I don't know that that's dramatically better than the way he handled it. You know, the reporters are there, and and fans don't understand. The reporters are there as kind of the conduits of the fans to get information that the fans would want, relevant information to the fans. Now, some fans are so ardent, their attitude is, don't bother Bill Belichick. And, as I say time and again, If Bill Belichick doesn't like the fact that there's media obligations that go along with the job, he can go be a high school lacrosse coach and be compensated accordingly. Because the only reason he's got to meet with the media as often as he does is people give a shit. People pay good money to go watch the Patriots play. People uh, donate their time to watching the games on TV when there are many other things they could do, many other things they can watch. It is mind-boggling now, the amount of content that's out there from traditional TV to Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, whatever else is out there, and they're proliferating. How do you decide what you're going to actually devote your attention to at the exclusion of everything else in the world in that moment? How do you make that decision? Lately, my attitude has just been, I ain't going to watch anything. I can't pick anything. I'll just watch the news. So it's valuable that people gather by the millions to watch football when it's live on TV. It just goes along with the process then. So, again, if he doesn't like it, there are plenty of sports he can coach where he doesn't have to worry about having the media pester him. On Tour Forever, what does it say about the officiating that Tom Brady was tweeting critical things about the refs on Thursday Night Football? Look, I don't know what it says about the officiating, because here's the thing. It takes two to tango, folks. If players are committing penalties, the officials have to call the penalties. Now, I understand that some of these 
are things that maybe the officials don't have to call. But the example I used earlier today on PFT Live, if the defensive players are grabbing and pulling the face masks of the ball carrier or the quarterback or the guy who caught the pass on every single play, they got to throw the flag on every single play. If a guy's jumping offside on every single play, you got to throw the flag. Now, remember, back in 2013, the Seahawks defense used that psychology against the game. They cracked the code by basically saying, we're going to commit illegal contact against the receivers on every play, and you won't call it on every play. What they're doing this year with holding, they're calling it on every play. That's what the coaches' subcommittee wanted. Well, you could call holding on every play. Well, if guys would stop holding, then maybe you wouldn't be able to call holding. And it's strange because if teams ultimately do respect that and quit holding, that's going to help defenses. It's going to make the game less exciting. It's going to make the game lower scoring. Are they sure this is what they want? Apparently it is. So I don't know that you blame the officials. You blame the people who come up with the rules, the points of emphasis. And you blame the players for not following the points of emphasis and the rules. They tell them every year. They have seminars. They have videos. They have access to all the information they need. And the coaches have the ability and the motivation to tell them what they can and can't do. So I don't, I I just, and and John Gruden used to do this when he was on Monday Night Football. Oh, there's too many penalties. All these penalties. Well, the players are the ones who commit the penalties. Do you want the officials to look the other way or don't you? Oh, look at all these crimes. Look at all these arrests. Look at all these people killing other people. It's not the cops' fault. Now, look, I know that that gets into a potential sociological minefield because a lot of times there are people who haven't done anything or haven't done all that much and they find themselves in the back of a cruiser. But the point is, the officials in an NFL game aren't looking to throw a certain number of flags. They're just looking for penalties. If you see a penalty, you throw a flag. You have to. If you don't, they're going to downgrade you. And the Tom Brady thing was weird. Like, why was he even watching the game live? He can watch the film later. That's what he's doing on a Thursday night when he's unwinding. He's going to watch Jaguars-Titans live, the TV copy. I almost thought one of his kids had his phone. It was weird, man. That was just weird. Another one from On Tour Forever. At what point will personal foul penalties that take other players out like Miles Garrett did to Trevor Simeon on Monday be addressed with suspensions or multi-game fines? I don't know that, that it makes sense to penalize a team with the loss of a player when... A personal foul or some other penalty results in an injury to a player. Because if that were the case, I can only imagine how certain crafty coaches would deal with it. Star defensive player tackles backup running back in an illegal way, lowers the helmet, and knocks the backup running back out of the game. If there's any type of provision that for a blatant illegal hit like that, that knocks the player on the wrong end of that hit out of the game for any period of time, if there's some sort of quid pro quo that the player's suspended for as long or something, I mean, 
Yeah, you, you, well, I'm sorry, my backup running back. He's still, huh? nope, he's still having concussion symptoms. You're uh, the guy who did it to him still needs to be out. So that's never going to work. And I know that's an extreme example for what the for what you're saying. The point is this, though, as it relates to a Miles Garrett. If he keeps racking up these personal fouls and the fines that go along with them, at some point he will get suspended. We never see this happen with pass rushers. We see it happen typically with defensive backs. Too many illegal hits. Too many times blowing up a receiver. Eventually, you suspend the player. It can happen with pass rushers, too. It just never does. But if Miles Garrett continues to not understand where the line is between aggressive play and a safety violation that gets him fined, the fines keep going up, and eventually he gets suspended. Faisal Morali, did you ever do something as stupid as trying to raid Area 51? I've done some stupid things. I can't say that I've ever done anything quite as stupid as trying to raid one of the most protected government installations in the country. So no, of all the stupid things I've done, I've never done something that stupid. All happy teams. I may regret this one. Let me try this one. I'm I'm in the right mood for this one. I'm 29, I podcast, and I am in medical education and media, flirting with the idea of law school. Work ethic and study habits aren't an issue, but I don't know about money, trajectory, etc. Can you run down some pros and cons? Well, why would you want to go to law school? What do you envision doing with a law degree? What happens after you cross the stage and get your diploma? Do you want to practice law? Do you want to do something else? Do you just not know what you want to do right now, so you're going to get another degree? How does it fit into your long-term plan? From a cost standpoint, it depends on what school you go to, in-state, out-of-state, how much money do you have saved, how much debt do you already have, do you have someone who's in position to help you pay for it, do you need to be working while you're in school? You know, my attitude when I finished college, I thought about working for a while and then going to law school, but I was very concerned that once I started working, once I started making money, I would start buying stuff that I would need more money to pay for. Hey, I got a car. I got to make a car payment. Well, I can't stop working for three years now. Oh, I got a house. I got a house payment. Well, I can't stop working for three years now. Let's just get all the school out at the same time when I don't have money. And therefore, I don't start buying shit with money and borrowing more money to pay for the shit that I want to buy that I have enough money to make the payments on as long as I keep working. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But I would say a fairly important consideration would be how much will it cost you to go to the law school that you want to go to if you can get in? And do you have financial arrangements in place that you can go to school? I always respected people who worked while they were in school. I tried to have a couple of side jobs when I was in college, and I just couldn't do it. Even like my third year in law school, I was doing some work with a law firm in in Morgantown, where West Virginia's law school is, and I just couldn't do it because like, all my focus, my brain focus was devoted to my education. I didn't have the capacity to pivot at that age to something else 
I wanted to like just go hang out with my friends, go play basketball, just relax. I just I had a full plate for the amount of time that I was willing to devote to educational and professional endeavors. I had X hours and that was it. And I wasn't going to put any more in. And I was fortunate because I was able to get by with, you know, a shoestring budget. It's so much easier to get by without money if you've not had money. Once you have money, once you're used to getting paid and all of a sudden you're not, that's the challenge. And, and I respect anybody who can work while they're in school. If that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. All right. Probably a good spot for me to go ahead and do an O'Reilly's read before we get back to the football questions. Although every once in a while, I don't mind going off topic. I don't know. Maybe I said something there that'll help somebody. I mean, I, you know, people have asked me, well, how did you end up doing what you're doing? It's like, I have no freaking idea. It just kind of happened. There was no master plan in 1982 while I was a senior in high school that someday I would own and operate a media company that primarily makes its content available in this thing called the internet where everyone is walking around with a supercomputer in their pocket that allows them to access the content that we have created, both written and video. And it's going to exclusively focus on the National Football League. I mean, it just, shit just happens. You focus day in and day out on the things that you enjoy doing. There's a little voice that guides you for the big decisions. And the big decisions don't seem like big decisions. Not always. They don't always seem like big decisions in the moment. The little decisions that lead up to the big decision. The big decision you know. But you make little decisions along the way that put you on the brink of the big decision. And you just kind of go with it. Sign up to be an Overwards member today and earn one point for every dollar spent. Receive your rewards twice as fast and on the go when you provide your email address. Overwards members get $5 back for every $150 that they spend. It's fast, it's easy, and it's free, and it's only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. See store or overwards.com for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. And there's the spot where Chris Sims would sing the jingle. All right, back to the questions. Locker room talker. Who were you referring to yesterday when talking about the Vikings and Gary Kubiak grabbing a different quarterback? My guess was Eli or Brock, but I wasn't sure. I was talking about Kaepernick. I was talking about Kaepernick. When Gary Kubiak was still the coach of the Broncos after Brock Osweiler and Peyton Manning left, they were talking to Colin Kaepernick about a possible trade. And the only reason that the deal didn't happen was because Kaepernick had, I think it was $12 million in fully guaranteed salary. And John Elway wanted him to take less. And I remember at the time, and this was before Colin Kaepernick ever took a knee. Everything changed, obviously, for Kaepernick once he started protesting during the National Anthem. But back in March of 2016, right after the Broncos won the Super Bowl, Right after Peyton Manning retired, right after Brock Osweiler took the deal to go to Houston, the Broncos needed a quarterback, and they talked to Colin Kaepernick. They would have traded with the 49ers to get him, and they wanted Kaepernick to take less. And, you know, the smart take was, why should he? Why should he? He's got $12 million fully guaranteed for the upcoming season. And then the following year, of course, after the taint of the 
protests affected the way people thought about Colin Kaepernick and the Broncos yet again needed a quarterback because they need one every year. John Elway's position was, well, he had his chance last year, which is just baloney. It's just baloney. I like John Elway. I respect John Elway, but that's a baloney explanation. Once a guy says no, he's forever banned. I mean, Brock Osweiler left to sign for the Texans and they brought him back. But I was talking about Kaepernick yesterday because I think Kaepernick would be better than Kirk Cousins in the Gary Kubiak offense. I know Kevin Stefanski is technically the coordinator, but it's the Kubiak offense. And I've, I've seen enough, folks, of Kirk Cousins. 18 games is enough. And the Vikings have him for 30 more. It's enough. I've seen the movie enough times. You win a game, you lose a game. You win a game, you lose a game. Big game rolls around, opportunity to punch through and prove that the team is better. And the quarterback can't deliver. And it's not just primetime games, it's big games. The closest big game he has come to winning was last year in Green Bay week two when the Clay Matthews hit fueled the drive that tied the game. And but for a couple of missed kicks, the Vikings would have won. Too many big... Now, they, they did beat the Eagles. That was a big game. There was like one or two games last year. Let me be fair. Let me, let me do this. I want to be fair to Kirk. And I'm saying his name properly. K-I-R-K. Kirk. Here's last year. All right, big games. Green Bay tie. At the Rams, loss. Philly, win. That was a big game. New Orleans, loss. At Chicago, loss. Green Bay at home, I guess that counts as a win. At New England, loss. At Seattle, loss. And then the last big game was Chicago, loss. Couple of big wins. At home against the Packers, although you're supposed to hold serve at home. And at Philly. The biggest win of the, of, of the year by far was at Philly. But that was back when Philly wasn't very good. Later in the year, they wouldn't have been able to touch the Eagles. You got to win the big games. So, let's finish this. Let's see. Let's go ahead and predict the record right now. Sign me up. September 20, 2019. I'm going to tell you what the Vikings record is going to be this year. Because I know how this movie's going to end. I'm going to spoil it for you. All right? Are you ready? Okay. One and one after beating the Falcons and losing to the Packers. Oakland win. Two and one. At Chicago, loss, 2-2. Two two. At the Giants, win, 3-2. Philadelphia, win, 4-2. At Detroit, loss, 4-3. Washington at home, Thursday night football, win, 5-3. At Kansas City, loss, 5-4. At Dallas, loss, 5-5. Five five. Denver, win, that's 6-5 six at the bye. At Seattle Monday night, loss, Six and six. Detroit at home win. Seven and six. At the LA Chargers, currently set for primetime on NBC, but probably will be flexed. Loss. Seven and seven. And then it comes down to two home games against the Packers on Monday night football, December twenty-three, and the following Sunday against the Bears. Seven and seven going into those last two games. So they get hot and win 9 and 7, maybe the 6 seed lose in the wild card round. They lose both games 7 and 9, no playoffs. They lose one of the games 8 and 8, no playoffs. 
That's what it's going to come down to. I'm telling you right now. Mark my words. The Vikings will be 7-7 seven and seven going into the final two games of the season. And it's going to be incumbent on them to beat the Packers on Monday Night Football and turn around on a short week and beat the Bears. And if they do that, they'll be 9-7, and seven, they'll get a spot in the playoffs, and they'll lose in the wild card round. That's the story. You don't even need to continue. You know what, Vikings fans? Go ahead and do something else with your time. Don't, Because that's what's waiting for you. Accept it now. So come early January, when it's really, really cold in the Twin Cities and elsewhere in Minnesota, you don't have that gnawing at You know that feeling when the season's over? The door's slammed for eight months. Just accept it now. Best case, nine and seven and loss in the wild card round of the playoffs. But I'd say going into those last two games, Packers, Bears, seven and seven going into those two games, they ain't getting into the playoffs. And then you got one more year with Kirk Cousins. And his salary for next year is $29.5 million. And he is not going to waive the guarantee. He's not going to say, hey, you know what, Vikings? Yeah, you know, this hasn't worked. I'm moving on. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. Let, let's, let's ponder this one. Would, I mean, it's almost like a George Costanza play now scenario, right? Next year, the Vikings don't want the guy, but they got no choice because his contract's guaranteed. What do they do? Does Kirk Cousins subject himself to one awkward final season with the Vikings? Or does he take $14 million to go away? If you're a Vikings fan, if, if, if the rest of the season plays out the way that I have predicted it will, do you offer Kirk Cousins $14 million to go away? I'd sure as hell consider it. Do you try to trade him to someone and pay $14 million? It's the Jadavian Clowney move. It's the Robert Quinn move. It's the Ryan Tannehill move. We've seen it more and more. It started with Brock Osweiler and the $16 million contract that the Browns absorbed for a second round pick. What do you do? What do, do you send Kirk Cousins plus a first round pick? To another team. Your first round pick. Do you give up your first round pick to get out from under the $29.5 million? What do you do? And if you're Kirk Cousins, what do you do? Do you just cross your arms and stomp your feet and say, hey, I'm 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 here to play football and I'm here to get paid and I don't care if you don't want me here? Wouldn't that be something? There's a whole load of dysfunction that's waiting for the Vikings if this season plays out the way I think it will. What do you do? Because you are stuck with him. Or are you? Does Mike Zimmer come out and say, man, I'd love to get rid of this guy, but we owe him $29.5 million fully guaranteed next year. And if any coach in the NFL who would come out and say it plainly and bluntly, Zimmer's the guy. All right, this trip down the rabbit hole sponsored by... But, but look, Vikings fans, search your heart, set aside the Helga horns, and ask yourself, am I crazy or am I right on the money? Is this where you're heading? I think it is. Next question. 
Venet, Virginia. Why don't the networks put a microphone on the head referee when he is talking to Al Riveron during the broadcast? I think this could really help explain a lot of these review calls real time to fans watching at home. I don't think they want us to hear it. I don't think it benefits anyone for us to really have an eye and an ear on what's happening. And also it would put even more pressure on our river on it's already a crippling crippling amount of pressure so no nothing is gained by our river on by the nfl by anyone by adding even more pressure to that job and i don't know that i want it look i don't want to make it harder for the guy to do the job i just want him to do the job well i don't need to hear it i don't need to see the sausage being made we know what the, unlike sausage, which actually tastes good, we know what the end result of that meat grinder is. At two screws, why doesn't Colin Kaepernick have a job right now? So many teams with opportunities, I'm dumbfounded. Because, look, they don't want him. He, he is the guy who made the robots self-aware. He helped players realize that they have power that they have rights. You know, there's all this talk about who's the guy that has opened the door to the players having leverage and power and using it. And is it AB? Is it Khalil Mack? I can make the argument it's Colin Kaepernick. He's the guy that arguably empowered all players to look around and say, screw this, man. And whether it's protesting during the anthem or whether it's saying, I don't want to play here anymore. That's why they don't want him. They don't want to reward that. They don't want other guys to act the same way as they all kind of act the same way, which is good. And now, as I said earlier, their best argument against keeping him out of the league is the fact that he hasn't played in the last two years. And of course, the reason he hasn't played in the last two years is because he's been unfairly kept out of the league. Ryan 613-01151. Got to get it exactly right. Hi, Mike. Big fan from Australia with... Number one receiver being paid so much money, is it worth it or overvalued? Seeing as there have not been many teams in the last 10 to 15 years that have won with receiver on league leading slash big contracts. I don't like the argument that, well, you know, if you have a receiver who's making a ton of money, you're probably not going to win a Super Bowl. I don't think that that's a kiss of death. I think it just it just happens that way. I mean, the Eagles had a chance to win the Super Bowl with Terrell Owens. So I don't know that that's the case. Look, the bottom line is, if you have a great receiver, probably makes sense to pay him. Although, look at how Bill Belichick does things. Brandon Cooks was going to want big money, so he flipped him for a first-round pick. Got back the first-round pick he gave up to give to get Brandon Cooks, who was originally... Think about it, How many guys have been basically traded for three first-round picks during their career. Because when you use a first-round pick, like the Saints did on Brandon Cooks, you are trading the first-round pick to get him. Then the Patriots traded a first-round pick to get him, and then the Rams traded a first-round pick to get him. At Pembroke Raider, could there ever be an incident in which Antonio Brown is proven to be linked to that would finally cause the league and the NFLPA to turn their backs on him? He acted way worse than Kaepernick ever did. Yeah, I think he's on his last chance now. And if the Patriots flush the Antonio Brown experiment. I don't know who else is out there. Probably Bruce Allen and Washington. But, you know, and, and that sets aside the question of whether and to what extent Antonio Brown will be suspended. Because I would submit to you that if the league investigates the Brittany Taylor allegations in the sexual assault and rape civil lawsuit and comes to the conclusion that he raped her, I think he's banned for life. If they come to the conclusion that that's what he did, that she's telling the truth, 
that he committed forcible rape. If they believe that happened, how can you ever let him play again? Well, we've determined Antonio Brown committed rape. He suspended six games. That's no. Kate Tom 24, can the league step in with the Dolphins situation, maybe force Ross to sell? How can a team who seems to care so little about the product they put on the field be getting the same revenue share as everyone else? Yeah, and I addressed this yesterday in a post at profootballtalk.com. I do not believe the NFL will do anything because if they do anything, it acknowledges that there is a temptation to tank. And I think the NFL is committed to never linking to never acknowledging the link between teams recognizing that there's a benefit to losing. The league always wants to be able to say that every team in each of the 256 regular season games played, no matter whether it's week one or week 17, is trying to win. They're not. Not at the end of the year. Now, the tanking usually manifests itself once a team is out of playoff consideration. And, hey, what's the difference between 5-11, and 4-12, and 3-13? and 13? Who cares? You know what the difference is? I get a better draft pick if I lose these games. And the best evidence that the NFL does not want to dignify the existence of tanking and the temptation to tank is the fact that there isn't a draft lottery. Think about how big a draft lottery would be for the NFL. Another off-season tentpole. Scouting combine, free agency, draft lottery, draft. Big money, significant interest, takes over the news cycle of all sports, Now, the NBA draft lottery generates some interest. The NHL is just kind of a curiosity. An NFL draft lottery would be huge. And you hold it in one of the cities where there's a good chance of winning the first overall pick. It would be awesome. It would be great. It doesn't affect the draft at all. The draft still happens. It's just figuring out the order. But the NFL does not want, when we get to the point where we're near the end of the season, they don't want the chatter to be, oh, well, if the Dolphins lose, then they end up, you know. And, and I know we've had that talk before about the first overall pick, but when you're talking about a lottery and how many balls would be in the hopper, and it, 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 it puts value, it puts strategic value on losing. For now, the NFL prefers to have a firewall between the notion that everybody tries to win every single game all the way until the end, And the idea that, you know what, it pays to lose. Now, the the notion of kind of secretly trying to get Stephen Ross to sell, I I could see maybe some sort of a back channel thing where they try to nudge him out of the club. But here, here, look, the, the people who own the good teams, they like it when there are teams that aren't any good. They don't want every team to be properly managed and run and competitive. They want to have the road apples that they can squish. They don't want to have a tough game every week. Yeah, let's pass the Dolphins around week in and week out and beat the crap out of them. It's almost like an in-season, preseason game. All right, I need to wrap this up soon. Let's see what else we have here. At Andrew1TM, why do some view the NFL as a moral absolute and others view it as the opposite? Can't the NFL treat any issue like an employer normally would without listening to outside influence? Here's the problem. The NFL has invited the outside influence by acknowledging that PR concerns drive the manner in which the workplace is managed. That's the, the entire personal conduct policy is a PR tool. 
the notion of policing the private lives of players. I mean, think about it. And I was talking about this earlier today. Workplace misconduct. There's a finite defined workplace. It's where you show up to work. For the NFL, if you're an NFL player, the entire world is your workplace, as released to the personal conduct policy. Anywhere you are, if you commit a violation of the specific enumerated acts, domestic violence, sexual assault, there's like 14 bullet points. You can be anywhere. You can be in any country. It can be any day of the year. You're not getting paid, but you're still subject to that standard. It's all driven by PR. They've allowed outside influence to drive when people are employed, when they're allowed to work, etc. All right. A couple more. Cortland 93, given the way the game went last night, is it possible Ramsey could be having second opinions on being traded, or do you think the relations between player and team are damaged beyond repair? I don't think they're damaged beyond repair because I think if the Jaguars show up with a giant bag of money and offer to make him the highest paid cornerback in the league, that would go a long way to addressing his concerns. I think the way he's treated, coupled with the fact that they've yet to pay him, makes him think they don't value him. And there's no better way to prove to the player that you value him than making him a gigantic life-changing financial offer. Andrew 1TM, if Rudolph does well, but the defense costs the Steelers the game this weekend, could you see Keith Butler get relieved of his DC duties or maybe fired? I still have a, I still have a, just this vague concern about Keith Butler from that weird thing last year before the Bengals game, and he was just he was talking about Tyler Eifert being a weapon, and I think there were like two tight ends that, that were on IR or that, that weren't available he was talking about. It was just weird. I, 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 it just was weird. And maybe it was a blip. Maybe it was an aberration. It was just weird how that all happened. So I don't know. Mike Tomlin's a defensive coach. I don't know how much of it's Keith Butler, but I think, I think a lot of coaches in Pittsburgh need to worry about how the rest of this season goes, because, you know, it's easy to say the Rooney's never fire coaches, but when are they ever three and 13 or four and 12? Icaro Franco, will the Vikings regret letting John DiFilippo go? He brought up the best from their biggest investment, but the head coach wanted a different offense. Well, did he bring up the best from their biggest investment? I mean, that's the problem. They were throwing too much, and when the game was on the line, big games, big spots, Kirk Cousins couldn't get it done. At DeGreat Corn Florio, when the Vikings inevitably break our hearts and crush our dreams again, what team are you going to cheat for? What does that mean? Cheat for? How can I cheat? Nick Estrom, is the NFL losing leverage in the next CBA with not putting the proper funds toward officiating, then salting the wounds by finding players based on bad officiating? More players seem to be pushing the limits of complaining about officials and the NFL. Should the NFL be worried? I don't. I, I like the creativity there. I don't see a connection between bad officiating and a potential CBA problem, a strike, a lockout, whatever. I don't. Skull Vikings 407, is it still too early to understand who these teams are as a whole? Like, who is noticeably going to peak early? It is still too early. Last year, the Dolphins started 3-0. Yeah, it's going to take some time. Teams are going to get better. Teams are going to get worse. And injuries are going to continue to happen. Look at how many injuries, key injuries, there have been through two weeks. we got another slate of games coming up Sunday. So it is too early. CZ Wall doesn't it make the most sense for New Orleans to start Taysom Hill. More dynamic, better arm, better runner, higher upside. Keeps his in-game packages 100% in play, plus preserves. Teddy two loves as the backup. Yes, 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 yes. For now, they're going to use both because I think it maximizes Teddy two gloves and 
Taysom Hill to have defenses in a position where they have to prepare for both guys. But yes, I would I would say Taysom Hill has the, the higher ceiling than Teddy Bridgewater. We know what Teddy Bridgewater is as a quarterback. We don't know what Taysom Hill is, and there's a chance he could be great. Wolvie 58, what do you think the Titans should do with Mariota? Are his struggles? His struggles are caused by bad play calls, linemen missing assignments. He is on, what, his fifth offensive coordinator. I, I just I think that we've seen enough from Marcus Mariota to know who he is. He is a mid-level NFL starting quarterback, and he can give you mid-level performances and maybe once in a while sneak his way into the playoffs and be banged up from time to time. And, you know, it's like one good play, two bad plays. One good play, two bad plays. And and he kind of teased us with a great performance in the third quarter, that first drive that ultimately resulted in the fourth and goal that they went for and didn't make. I really felt like in that moment watching that drive that somebody lit a fire under his ass in the locker room by suggesting he was going to potentially get benched for Ryan Tannehill. But then in the fourth quarter, there was no sense of urgency. Get to the line of scrimmage. Tell your guys to get to the line of scrimmage. The thing about Marcus Mariota, I like him. He's a nice guy. He doesn't ooze that kind of assholey swagger that you need to have to be a leader of men in a locker room for a, a rough-and-tumble sport like football. The accountability needs to come from someone, and it can't all come from the coach. It needs to come from a player, and ideally it comes from the quarterback, and I just don't think Marcus is wired that way. All right, I need to wrap this up. Let's see if there's anything else that I want to answer before I wrap it up. Dirtbag1327 with his fourth quarter heroics is Kyler Murray, the next Tim Tebow. That's not a good thing, right? That That's that's not a good thing. Dirtbag1327, should Chris Sims change his podcast to Welcome to the Rough Shop? I kind of like that. Ollie TM, what's the over-under on which week Antonio Brown plays to? I still think there's a chance, and it's 3.56 p.m. Eastern. There's a chance he doesn't play this weekend. Maybe next weekend? Paul PJ5, let's end with this one. Why did you have to ruin my day yesterday by saying on PFT Live that the Vikings have 30 more games of Kirk Cousins? It's really depressing when I think of it. Well, Paul, go back and listen to what I said earlier, how it's going to play out. 7-7 seven and seven going into the last two games. Maybe win the last two, maybe make the playoffs, lose in the wild card round. And and if they don't make the playoffs, it, it really could be a, a play now scenario. That's what I'm going to start calling it. The Vikings are staring at the George Costanza play now scenario in 2020 because they're not going to want Kirk Cousins and they're not going to be able to get out of it unless they pay him to go away, pay somebody else to take him, pay part of his salary or give someone a first round pick to take his 29.5 million dollars off their hands all right that's it for pftpm we'll be back on monday with pft live looking back at the weekend that was it should be a fun slate of games thanks as always for your questions your support and everything all weekend long profootballtalk.com we will be cranking out the content and keeping our eyes out for all the news all the developments all the analysis and everything else have a great weekend we'll talk soon At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. 
Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all-new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.